Welcome in to the Locked On Knicks podcast. I'm your host, Gavin Shaw, and today I'm joined by the Strickland's own Stacey Patton to dive deep on the Knicks draft. We debate whether or not the Knicks maximize their position coming into the draft, whether the Charlotte deal was a bad one or perhaps a forward-thinking move, and then we get into the picks themselves including why Stacy is so in love with Miles McBride. All that and more right now on Locked on Knicks. A very quick note, though, before we start there. There were a little bit of uh, background audio issues that I, I didn't pick up while we were recording that uh, came in, or at least I, I noticed a little bit more on the final version. So apologies for that. Hopefully they're not too bothersome. But let's get into it. Locked on Knicks starts right now. You are Locked on Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And I think we see Willis coming out. There he comes right now. You are Locked On Knicks, and today's episode is brought to you by Rock Auto. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Visit rockauto.com and tell them Locked On sent you. I am Gavin Shaw, a play-by-play broadcaster. Alex is out of town for the weekend, so I get to bring on whoever I want. And today... That is Stacy Patton. Per his Twitter, he specializes in hoops, data science, and memes. He is a contributor to the Strickland, uh, one of their most versatile members covering the team and covering the draft. Stacy, thank you so much for joining me. We were we were just getting into it a little bit, but you were you were at the draft at Barclays Center last night. What was what was the atmosphere like in the building? Because it's always it's a it's an especially weird thing when it's in New York and the Knicks are making multiple trades. And obviously in the building, they never announce the trades in a timely manner because they're not going to say anything until it's official. So it's always a strange thing where maybe maybe now because I, I was I was mostly going around four or five years ago. So maybe now everyone's really cued into Twitter and, and most people know, or at least everyone has someone in their friend group who knows. But I would always feel like 80% of the people there would not understand that the guy the Knicks had just taken was was not going to end up on the Knicks. And it always led to some very weird reactions. So what, what, what was the feeling like being there during all that craziness? Yeah, I think that's pretty apt because um, I, I, I don't know if it's 80% or 90 or, or lower than that, but there is a substantial amount of the crowd that is there for the experience. They're there to support their team. They're not checking Twitter furiously, right? Um, so I think a lot of people were puzzled when they announced the Oklahoma City Thunder pick, and I cheered, right? Um, by that time, by the second round, there were fewer people anyway. But um, yeah, I think it's it's and it's a little bit of a bizarre thing. Uh, the first draft I went to a couple of years ago, my phone actually died early on, so I remember the Mavs took. Trey Young, <laughs> and I was like going to the bathroom, but I passed this mask fan wearing a Dennis Smith Jr. jersey. I was like, "You're gonna have to get a new one, man." Like, uh, I don't know if they're gonna keep both him and Trey. And then he was like, "Bro, do you even Woj?" You know, <laughs> so um, you know, with those the Luca trades, so it's definitely an it's an interesting vibe. 
Um, I remember Kai got drafted yeah, last night. And he was like, the crowd was cheering, and then he was like, what up, New York? Like, he was hyping that part up, and you're like, oh, that's a little odd. So um, definitely, uh, definitely a little surreal on that end. What was what was your feeling leading up to nineteen? Was was there someone I I know I know you were really into uh, Deuce McBride and we'll we'll talk about him later. But what, was there someone else at nineteen you were really hoping they were going to end up with and just sort of like clenching and and crossing every part of your body hoping that he would get to nineteen or were you just sort of like you know whoever's there they're they're going to have some good options? Yeah, I mean my top choice and the guy who I was surprised was falling uh, was Moses Moody. Um, it's a little bit, you know, given that San Antonio took Josh Primo, I wonder if that would have been a trade-up opportunity. But, you know, a lot of teams, when they settle on their guy, they don't want to risk them falling. And Primo could have gone to Oklahoma City. But that was the guy who I thought I was hoping he would fall. Um, on kind of a side note, I thought the Warriors did really well. I think a lot of people didn't like the Kuminga pick. But they were able to hit two timelines where they're kind of planning for the future the way Bob Myers talked about, but they got a guy who can probably contribute next year in Moses Moody. For the Knicks specifically, um, I think the other guys I was interested in were Sharif Cooper. Um, Jaden Springer, I was shocked to see how far he fell. Like Cooper falling to 48 as far as he did was surprising, but you could see that, you know, there were mocks where he's going second round, you know, teams can get scared of the size. Springer was puzzling because he brings just a lot to the table. Um, and that's a guy I would have loved the Knicks to take. Uh, and then the last guy I mentioned is Bones Highland. Um, because I, I, you know, similar to the McBride, I've just been thought he's phenomenal. And, um, and then I think the only disappointment of last night is they didn't get like a big wing. Like Grimes will probably play that role for them. But one of these lanky guys, like a Tramer, if he felt didn't fall, but he would have been nice. Kessler Edwards in the second round would have been nice. But, um, the, the, the Short answer to your question is, um, in terms of guys I was hoping fell that didn't, probably be Moody and Murphy. And then of guys that did fell, but the Knicks didn't take, that I was kind of disappointed in, um, it would be Springer and to a lesser extent Bones. But Springer is the one that was really a head scratcher. Right. And I, I guess this, this leads perfectly into sort of the, maybe the crux of this Knicks draft conversation. That's what they did in 19. So I see everyone, I mean, not, not even this morning, last night, People are at least at least like the really like the like the people who, who cover the Knicks, I, I guess is, is how I'll phrase it, versus uh people who follow the people who cover the Knicks, were generally seemed pretty approving of the move in nineteen. And the logic is is pretty simple. The Knicks got their guys and they picked up an extra asset. And if you just look at that bottom line, it's sort of impossible to question. They got a first round pick, they got everyone they wanted. Um, how could you possibly complain about that? But to me, I don't know, at least in the moment, after sleeping on it, I'm a, I'm a little bit less upset about it. But it felt like, I don't want to say egregious asset mismanagement, but it, it sort of reeked a little bit of, of unpreparedness to me that there wasn't a guy there at 19. Because I understood, like everyone kept saying, all right, they, they clearly didn't love anyone at 19. So they traded back and they, and they picked something up for it. And I get that. But I don't know, in my mind, I mean, you were just talking about Springer. Does it feel a little bit like a failure of scouting that there wasn't someone at 19 that they really, really loved, given that seemingly the consensus from everyone else that this was a very, very deep first round? And I, I get the idea of making that trade if you're saying, look, on our particular board, relatively, we, we are not super duper excited um, for someone at this slot relative to the value of this pick, and then you're picking up value. Like if that Charlotte um, future pick 
was maybe top eight protected or something. And then I'm saying, okay, I mean, there were guys I personally wanted, but I can sort of put my feelings aside and be objective and say that was a, that was a good move for the Knicks. But given the protections on that Charlotte pick, it's like they're getting zero value for essentially waiting a year or two to get that player. And I, I understand all the talk that they ultimately weren't going to play three rookies. And look, if they if they really genuinely in their heart of hearts would have taken Quentin Grimes if they were forced to pick at 19, I guess there's not really anything I can say about it. But I, I'm just surprised that one, there wasn't a guy they really wanted there. Two, if you knew going into the draft that that was a distinct possibility and, and given, look, if you were set on taking one of Mann or Murphy or Duarte at that spot, you, you probably knew going into the night, I guess Mann was a little bit more questionable, that that guy wasn't going to be there. And I'm just, I'm kind of shocked that there wasn't another team willing to offer something better than that. To me, and this probably isn't true, but it felt like last second, like, oh shoot, we, we can't pick anyone here. We got we to gotta make a deal. And it, it felt like it was thrown together last second. But Stacy. I, I feel like you disagree because seemingly just, just going through Nick's Twitter, everyone disagrees with me on that take. Yeah, I mean, you're not wrong about a good amount of stuff. Um, what I would disagree with is the notion, I guess, that because it was a deep first round, that means you should stay where you are. Um, because it a, when it's a deep first round, when you have 40 guys that should be in the first round, that means it's likely that you're going to get first round value in the second round. And the Knicks actually picked up another second round pick. I actually think 32 for 34 and 36 was an excellent move because it's it's way better value. It's not even close. Uh, and the only reason it was on the table was because Oklahoma City just literally has too many picks and they can't sign all these guys, right? So that was a great find of value. In terms of the lack of preparation, I think I, I have a lot of faith in the Knicks scouting at this point um, with Walt Perrin running it. Um, I think they, I mean, Look, Springer was surprising to me because I think he's a great prospect, but 27 other teams passed him, 26, whatever, whatever he ended up going. Um, so I, I mean, there weren't, there weren't a whole lot of guys like the, the gap between 20 and 35 or 40 wasn't that high. So I actually like what the Knicks did. I, I do agree with you on the protections. That's a little concerning. Um, you know, I, I guess I am a Lamelo Ball fan. I guess I'll try to pick a Lamelo Ball fan and try and hoping to get to the playoff. Um, not at our expense, of course, but um, but I think that the Knicks. It, there's the thing, right? Um, first round picks as a possibility, as a mystery box, are more valuable than when they become a player, right? So if we took even Trey Mann there, that's you know in a superstar trade, unless he really blows up, which at the 19th pick generally that doesn't happen, that is going to have less value than a future first round. It's the family. I mean, whether you agree or not, that's kind of how it works. Uh, it's the family guy thing, where uh, you know we can take the boat or the mystery box, which could be anything. It could even be a boat, right? Um, so, um, but to answer your question, I thought that that part of it, in terms of trading back and all of that, um, I, I think I would draw kind of the opposite conclusion in terms of I do agree that it was a very deep first round, and a lot of first round talents fell to the second round, and that's why I think moving back. Um, you know, getting extra assets, but still getting three picks in that range where you have first round talent was great. Now, whether all three of those guys are exactly who I'd have picked is a different story. Um, but I think the asset management part, I thought that, um, that was Aller at his best with the caveat that I wish, yeah, I wish he got it like the top 10 protected or top 12. That was a little bit, and you're negotiating with Mitch Kupchak, you know, <laughs> you could do better than that, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 
Maybe uh, yeah, you should have you should have thrown in the rights to like Byron Scott or something. It's like oh, is <laughs> available? Yeah, sure. Um, but yeah, I, I I hear you. Um, I think I think it's a good point, and maybe maybe time will tell on that front if if it does end up being a a part of a of a bigger trade. But let let's get into the actual guy. So the first person they picked, I I, I almost feel I almost feel bad not asking you about Miles McBride initially, but we'll we'll go in we'll go in chronological order. Um. Quentin Grimes. I mean, to me, on the surface, this just this feels like a cheaper Reggie Bullock, which is, at and it's it is this weird thing where I like the more the more you cover drafts, the more you cover a team, you 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 have to force some perspective onto yourself. Where where in my mind, you as you and I'm sure Stacy, someone who's, who's like a lot deeper into this than I am, you you kind of go through the same thing where, where you talk yourself into and and you were just saying this with Springer, all these guys in the 20s, and you're like, you know, Sharif Cooper. Clearly a future superstar. I don't know how they don't see it. Or, or Jaden Springer. Oh my God, so young, uh, such, such a smart player. How do they not? How do they not recognize that this guy's going to be really, really good for a really long time? And yet, you look at the average return of of picks in the twenties, and it's generally a bench guy, if, if that. So the idea that they got potentially someone with a very, at least relative to the slot, low chance of failure. And someone who will contribute certainly as a movement shooter and a defender and seemingly an immediate fit on a playoff team. To some extent, you have to consider that a win. And I I think when I look at it objectively, I always find it weird how teams differentiate between certain guys. I I guess maybe it's based on certain flash traits, but him versus Duarte. Obviously, Duarte is the better player today. I'm not... I'm not totally locked into the idea that in three years, Grimes, with his track record of improvement, won't be the better guy. So I, I think if the Knicks were, were set on taking someone in that 3 and D mold, and it, it felt as if, um, I mean, based off of uh, reporting prior to the draft and some retroactive reporting, if Zaire Williams, he, Zaire Williams was going to be the one guy that they would take a big swing on, if he wasn't going to be there, if they really wanted a 3 and D wing, they traded back twice, and they still seemingly managed to get that guy. And I honestly, I, I'm not as deep into it as you are, so I'd be interested to hear your take on it. But comparing him to Murphy, to Duarte, um, I think Moody has a higher ceiling just because he's so much younger and produced so much at such a young age. But those other two guys, and even throw Corey Kispert in there, I, I don't really see a massive, massive difference in value. So in that sense, would you say they did pretty well? Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I think I tweeted this, right? Like taking Grimes at 25, uh, especially before the draft, there were rumors that the Knicks were going to make like a godfather offer to, or not a godfather, but like two first round picks plus extra stuff to move up just to take Duarte. Um, you know, you, it's interesting you mentioned three years. In three years, Grimes will be as old as Duarte is now. Um, so that is kind of a big deal. Um, I think that Kispert is the best out of that group. So I do think there is a difference, but you're getting, you're getting a contributor. Um, and so here's so I, I think that Grimes there's a lot to like about him. Um, so he for those who don't know he came out of high school as like a top five or top ten recruit. Um, he's one of those guys similar to like a BJ Boston where early in the year he was top ten in mocks and then he really struggled at Kansas and he had to reinvent himself as a player because like all of those top guys he was an on ball guy in high school and like bullied opponents and in college he couldn't make that work and he had to reinvest himself as an off ball shooter. I think that off the court or those intangibles are something the Knicks front office really cares about. Um, you look at quickly last year, um, you know, insane work ethic even by you know NBA standards. 
Um, we'll talk about Deuce later, but Obi also, I think the you know the the enthusiasm, the hard work, you know that they, they really do buy into those those character guys, uh, which is more important than draft Twitter is going to say. And I, I mean, I don't think draft Twitter should get into that because I don't think we're qualified to assess someone's character from a distance. That actually kind of bugs me. Um, but um, but I think for teams who are up close, it is important. Um, getting to so and Grimes can really shoot the ball. Um, so. Just getting more into him as a prospect, he had uh, a 15 attempts for 100, um, 3 point attempts for 100 possessions, which is an insanely high rate, and was hitting them at 40. percent um, And he's versatile; he can shoot off some pin downs. Uh, I don't know if he's a movement shooter at the next level, but they they, they work to get him the ball a lot. Um, he's got a pull up game. He's got a nice release. Um, there's a lot to like, but he will shoot at the next level, um, and he's a solid defender who doesn't have many lapses. What I think is less than ideal is, you know, there are guys, so he's, he's built bigger, right? Um, but his standing reach is eight foot five, which is ideally more of a two guard than a three. Um, so in terms of the Reggie Bullock thing, it is a little bit like that in that Reggie Bullock was ideally a two, but often had to guard threes because we just didn't have a ton of wings. Kevin Knox was supposed to be that six nine lengthy guy who can give you that versatility. And obviously that hasn't panned out. Um, so that's why I would have preferred a guy like Trey Murphy, um, or, you know, or, or Kispert even, who are longer guys who can really, a little more switchability. Um, it, to me, I don't know how switchable Grimes is. I think he's a good positional defender, but he's not going to be a super off ball generator. He's, he's at decent wingspan, but, um, I think it's more of a strength thing because if you look at it, um, Bones Highland actually is a half inch longer standing reach, right? And it's a similar level of shooter. With more on-ball juice. So my take was, you know, if you're going with a shooting guard-sized guy, the Bones is about 30 to 40 pounds skinnier, so that is a thing. You know, let's go with an on-ball, with a more of an on-ball guy. And if you're going to go for a wing-sized guy, you know, a guy like Kessler Edwards maybe would have made more sense. But Grimes is a much sure shooting bet than Edwards, and he's ready to come in and defend right away, um, twos and probably a lot of threes because of his strength, which quick, or, sorry, which Highland isn't able to do. Um, and then of course there's Springer who is also pretty built in, but he's also, you know, he's a low volume shooter right now. So I think you're spot on in that this was a guy that the Knicks can count on to produce for cheap next year, makes Reggie Bullock, who's likely to get paid this offseason more expendable. Um, and, um, and, and, you know, you look at the advanced metrics, the shooting metrics, Grimes is really kind of off the charts last year. So, um, overall from that lens, I think, I think they did well, um, and um, and the last thing I'll say, kind of on the same note of me saying, you know, if you're going to take a smaller guy or, or not a true big wing sized guy, you know, there were other guys with more on ball creation ability. And then if you're going to take a wing, there were more, there were bigger guys or, you know, there's really Kessler Edwards. In that sense, I, the thing is there weren't a ton of big wing options. So I get that. But I kind of said the same thing last year with Quickly, who I did like, but, you know, I liked Malachi Flynn. And I said, if you're going to take a 6'2", 6'3", guy with like, you know, both at the time were thought of as like tenacious on-ball defenders. Quickly, that transition has been slower because of the weight, but he was really a great defender in college. And like, obviously, both were great shooters. I was saying, why not take Flynn, who can actually run point guard? More? And obviously, I was wrong on that, right? I mean, quickly transitioned to the league a little bit easier. We'll see what happens with Flynn. I think he's promising. But um, so, and I think that goes to your point, right? That, you know, we are a draft tutor and we think, how can Jaden Springer fall? Um, but, um, I would trust the Knicks scouting and, you know, you go through it the way, the way I'm thinking about it. Um, 
Grimes is, is pretty good value at that spot. And, um, and, you know, and I, I've said this before, if they took Grimes at 34 and Deuce at 25, that would have been the same, right? So, all right, guys, it's about that time. Let's take our second break with Stacy and tell you about Built Bar. Did you know Built Bar has so many delicious flavors? There's a little something for everyone. When you talk to a Built Bar fan, they're definitely passionate about their faves. If you didn't know all the Built Bar flavors, well, you're missing out. There's coconut, cherry barcia, double chocolate, strawberry, cookies and cream, and so many more. If you haven't tried all the flavors, you can get a mixed box where you'll get two of each of the nine flavors. Not only are Built Bar flavors the best tasting, they're healthy too. 17 to 18 grams of protein, calories ranging from 130 to 180, and only 4 to 5 grams of sugar, plus 4 to 5 grams of net carbs. Amazing flavors, all tasty. All relatively healthy. Order today and get the grasshopper cookie or raspberry or whatever you like. Built Bar is the official protein bar of the U.S. track and field team. Isn't that cool? Go to Built.com and use promo code LOCK15 and you'll get 15% off your order. Use promo code LOCK15 for 15% off at Built.com. Yeah, I think it's I think it's a good point. Maybe it 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 it's so funny because this could be the third draft in the last five where as Knicks fans we we have to reverse the order they pick players to to not flip out in terms of Kevin Knox and Mitchell Robinson than last year with Obi Toppin and Emmanuel quickly could could get that scenario again. It, it's a real real trend at this point. Um, some final stats on Grimes via our guy Jeremy Cohen, presumably via synergy. Uh, Jeremy tweeted this out. He's 84th percentile in overall offense. I I really like this 92nd percentile in transition. I, I was going to ask you about that, Stacey. I, I don't know. I don't know how many like full games of Grimes that you watched, but that sort of surprised me because he, I mean, at least as far as I can tell, isn't like a monster monster athlete. Obviously, in in a half court setting, really is is pretty limited in terms of uh, beating guys from a standstill off the dribble. Um, and yet, from everything I'm reading about him, like a pretty opportunistic offensive rebounder. And just, I feel like this is this is sort of a, a non-quantifiable metric, but someone who who kind of gets their hands dirty. He seems very, very active and involved in a lot of different plays, and does, doesn't really have a lot of fear in, in terms of finding ways to get those like scrappy secondary type of baskets that that you ultimately need to sort of make it as a role player in the NBA. Is that do you think that that's why he's that high in transition? Because that that sort of surprised me on the surface. Um, my guess would be it's more to do with trailer threes that's um, fair that's fair and i think that that but that does get to a point where um they really increased reggie bullock's volume of three threes last year um i, I mean i don't think there's a player on the knicks who didn't increase their volume a lot i mean even frank right um in the limited minutes that he got so they want those guys taking a lot of threes and um i think the fact that rhymes took a ton in transition and converted so well um speaks quite well and like you know like the Knicks don't run a lot, but you do see a lot of times where Julius will maybe get into semi-transition and can't get all the way to the rim, like on those pitchbacks. By the way, this is something Deuce excels at as well. Um, you know, finding the trailer, Grimes should be great at that. And um, I mean, he's going to get them up. That's He's going to get up a ton of shots. And the other part of what you're saying with the offense rebounding and the opportunism, um, he's, he's a really strong guy. He's built like you know a linebacker. Um, and that I think it was the differentiator with a lot of the other guard prospects, including a couple of the ones that I wanted. Um, so I definitely get that. And I think I was a little bit lower on the pick yesterday, but, um, kind of reading into reading more about it. 
Um, he doesn't have like ideal versatility for a wing, but because of the strength and because of that volume shooting, I think he will add an element that even Reggie Bullock um, and Burks didn't give us last year. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm like you. I'm talking myself into it over time. All right, the Knicks' second pick on the night, a guy whose name I will most certainly butcher, Stacey, if you, if you want to take a crack at it after me, uh, Rokis Jokubitis. I probably should have just looked up how it said, but I'm, I'm, I'm insistent on, on just making my best guess. Um, I went over him a little bit last night, six foot four, 20-year-old guard, out of Lithuania, uh, ESPN's Mike Schmitz threw out the Goran Dragic comparison on, on the broadcast last night. He, he was saying shades of Goran Dragic. And you certainly see that when you go into his highlights. Um, it seems like he's probably lacking a little bit of that top-end shiftiness that Goran had. Goran in, in his prime, um, certainly, if not a high-level NBA athlete, he had just enough speed and separation ability to take advantage of all the craft in his game. And for Rokis, I feel like that's a very, very thin line between moves that you can pull off in the league and and moves that you can't. And Rokis maybe slightly more below that. But in terms of athletic indicators, the fact that he's 61% at the rim gives me a bit more optimism. And just just watching him, he's a guy who certainly at 20, I mean, just looking at him on on an international stage, not not playing for Lithuania's U20 team, but playing for their, their senior national team, he just seems comfortable against older guys and maybe that's because he's tall and he has a a, a decent amount of strength to him but really gets to his spots and seemingly a a three-level scorer which which you don't typically say about guys that you're getting in the early second round with with his height and his pedigree in Europe but to me that's that that's what I'm seeing on tape but but what do you know about him and and what have you seen from him yeah um first of all for those um I haven't gotten a chance to dive too much into the film. Um, yeah, I, honestly, I was kind of focused more on the first round, and I didn't actually think the Knicks would take a drafted stat or international guy who's more developmental. Um, but um, I think not, it makes a lot of sense what they did. So I think a lot of people are high on him. Um, I know um, Stingy D on Twitter, I though um, he is uh, he's, he's a pretty big fan. Um, I would say what's he reminds me a little bit of Vino Udrich. <laughs> That's a name I have never been able to pronounce. Um, besides hearing Clyde kind of butcher it, but um, what gets I think Jokubitis is I think what you're 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 spot on. He's been productive. He's still only um, he hasn't turned 21 yet, so he's still very young, but he's had a ton of pro experience. Um, smart player, and I think that the thing is like he doesn't. Um, I've seen Maladon. Theo Maladon is a comp. That was a guy who really a lot of draft Twitter was low on last year, um, except a few standouts, and he was really solid um, because that's the thing, right? He doesn't stick out and he's not a freak athlete, isn't taking a ton of threes, um, isn't like making Lamella ball type passes, right? Doesn't have that flash. But you watch them play and then they just get to their spots, they make the right reads, um, they don't make mistakes. Um, and I, you know, so some of the comps I've seen for Rokas or Tomasa Duransky, I don't think he has quite that length. Um, and Sato is really is a good player, but those are the guys that, like, um, you know, they end up getting nine, ten million dollar beer deals. You know, they can start on some teams as a point guard, but they're usually shoring up bench units. And, you know, you play them next to maybe some scorers who are less, um, who are less maybe conscientious about, um, you know, being quote unquote a floor general, and then you think about who the Knicks have, they have a few guys in that mold 
um, namely quickly, right? So you think about Rokos as kind of the steadying hand in a lineup, maybe a little bit bigger, stronger frame to guard um, guard bigger players. And you think about him pairing with quickly and allowing quickly to just focus on getting downhill or, or running around screens and shoot threes. His fit becomes more apparent, and I'm not so sure he doesn't come over next year, right? So um, those are that's kind of my thoughts. But I definitely need to dig in more on, on Rokas. But I, I think that from what I've heard, that's a good pick, and it's the kind of pick I don't think we've seen the Knicks make in a while. So I can't I can't really remember the last draft and stash guy they took. It it hasn't hasn't happened. Lewis Slavery. <laughs> oh yeah, there you go. Uh, well, so so if that's the model for success, he's he's on a great trajectory. But <laughs> but it feels like again another another guy that. Um, I mean, if you're the Knicks, he could he could potentially come over, and I I feel like with Vildoza, I would I'd be surprised if they even wanted to bring him over this year. It seems like the point of the pick was maybe to l- let him develop a little bit more, then swing by when the Knicks need that extra guard. But I, I'm wondering if he could... I, sorry, I do have a question. But finish your thoughts here. Oh no, it's okay. I I was just gonna say I. I question, at least in my mind, whether he ever plays a game for the Knicks. Like I, my my gut feeling is just that we will, in whatever big trade the Knicks eventually make, he will be a name in that trade, and maybe he'll be a name that'll be totally forgotten, or it'll be like when the Suns traded for Marquise Chris and, and a guy named uh, Bogdan Bogdanovich was just a throw in and ended up being really really good. Yeah. Um, no, that's a fair point. I I could see him coming over next year, and this is what I'd ask you, right? The Knicks took two guards, um, two, you know, smaller guards, not six five, um, and then one wing who is also can play shooting guard and might be ideally suited for it. Um, and then they have Luka Vildoza and they have quickly, um, and then they're probably going to be active in free agency. Uh, and we've heard Derek Rose might actually want multiple years. Do you think there's a good chance he doesn't come back? Derek Rose. Yeah. I think there's a possibility, but I'd I'd be surprised just because I I will well, let's put it like this I'd be surprised if Rose doesn't come back and they don't end up with one of Conley Lowry CP3 or or maybe I'm, I'm missing someone else out there in free maybe maybe Dan Schroeder or, or or trading for someone I don't know but I would be you're gonna have Lonzo fans in your mention by the sure, way sure sure Lon- Lon- <laughs> Lonzo too um I would be surprised if quickly I guess was the starting point guard going into next year or if somehow Deuce McBride was or if I, I mean I don't I, obviously God forbid else but um right the only reason I see Rose coming back is because the Knicks made it so abundantly clear that they even even when quickly was really rolling that they were diametrically opposed to starting him at point guard and I'm not even like well, that's a conversation for another day. I think relative to Elf, he absolutely should have started. Relative to the rest of the NBA, I'm I'm fine with them looking for a better option and continuing to use quickly either off the ball in the starting lineup or off the bench. But to me, I, I just do not really see that guy on the roster who's your clear starter. Maybe look, maybe Luca Vildoz is a lot better than any of us think, and and, and he comes in and he plays a a pretty significant role from day one. But I, I don't know. My my intuition is. They're they're looking for rows or higher in terms of production at the point guard spot, and I I just I don't see the person on the roster who can bring that. Yeah, yeah, I, I definitely don't think um, I definitely don't think that any of those guys would start. But I'm saying is they do have depth at that position, right? So my intuition before would have been the ideal situation is sign a Lowry or someone like that, and then Rose. I think Rose is better suited for a backup role, not because he's not good enough to start, but because you don't want him playing 30 minutes a night. 60 plus games a year. Um, 
so I think that was it. But now I'm wondering with all this depth, um, and you know, there a lot of them are rookies, so you don't know if they'll pan out. I wonder if the Knicks will maybe be more willing to play one of them as the backup one, uh, and then wouldn't need to bring Rose back for that role. Um, so that's kind of where it would have. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think that's I think that's totally feasible. Um, but it, I, I'm I'm curious to see who that guy ends up being because now we're hearing all the stuff about Lowry potentially being New Orleans bound or or by Toronto not picking Jalen Suggs seems to be a decent indicator that he could be heading back there. I think CP's always been a long shot. And then uh, that kind of leaves you with Conley or Lonzo or, or something something in that range. So I'm, I'm I'm interested to see the direction they go. But they certainly, they look, they have a lot of versatility baked into their backcourt now. So you can plug in someone like Lonzo, who is a very specific piece and not really a traditional break-you-down point guard. And say we can we can kind of figure it out around him, but then you even if you do bring in someone like Lonzo because you you didn't you decided that you didn't want a Jared Butler or a Sharif Cooper, you're sort of in the position where un- unless quickly makes a big leap in that capacity and, and look given his work ethic and, and some of the stuff we saw from him off the dribble, it wouldn't it wouldn't shock me if quickly could become that guy who can initiate offense just because teams have to guard him from so far out that it will open up the entirety of the floor. I guess that's that's part of my that was part of my reasoning for when, when they kept passing up on those two in particular, Cooper and Butler. I, I was sort of surprised because I'm like, all right, now you you still sort of have to find that guy in free agency. And if you want to make a case for why Derek Rose will ultimately come back, it's that the Knicks with Rose were sort of desperately lacking in that off the dribble juice capacity. And and next year, pending internal development from guys like RJ and IQ, which which could certainly be a thing. Um, doesn't that seem like a bit of a problem again? Yeah, it definitely. Um, I will say with Sharif, so I'll just real quick on Sharif Cooper and Bob. Yeah, um, I think that number one, I, we do tend to overestimate how many of these guys are going to come in and make an impact off the bat, especially on a good team. Um, that's just the, I mean, part of it is because the, the best players go to bad teams. Um, but it's just most rookies are bad. Um, and most rookies aren't going to, so like if we drafted Sharif Cooper, he wasn't, we weren't running him out at starting point guard, no matter what. Um, that's number one. Um, and the number two with Jared Butler, um, so this is tough. Um, I think he's a terrific player, but I also, I have the feeling that the Knicks just simply do not take medical risks. Um, they passed on Michael Porter Jr. a couple years ago, and a lot of fans might think that's a mistake, but I personally thought, you know, um, you have to trust your medical staff, and um, I think that is why. But I don't think Butler fell at all because of his game. Um, he doesn't really have any holes. Um, so I, I think, but I do think that all said, you do lack that speed element. Um, we'll see. You know, if McBride gives you that because I think he wasn't able to get his downhill, um, and he is stronger than quickly. Um, and but I think and the thing is like they have a lot of bully ball guys, and then they have a lot of perimeter guys. What they don't have is someone who can just lightning bolt, who can scramble the defense. Um, I am high on McBride to be that, but uh, again, he's a rookie, and most rookies have a, a learning curve. Um, so that's why a guy like Conley would really help, or Lowry, or, or Paul. And you're, you're absolutely right; they are missing that element. I just don't think if if you were looking to solve that next year with Sharif Cooper or Jared Butler, it's unlikely to happen with any rookie. All right, I've I've delayed 
the inevitable for long enough, Stacey. You came on for this one reason, and I'm 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 going to give it to you, uh, Miles McBride. No no question there. Just say everything you want to say. <laughs> uh, well, I've been high on, on McBride for a while um, since college. Um, one of my favorite prospect games uh, was actually West Virginia VCU, which I watched early in the year, and I really liked his battle with with Bones Highland. Very contrasting styles in some ways, very similar. Um, both two of my favorite prospects. Uh, McBride is just, I mean, he's a pure joy to watch. Um, he is a bulldog on ball on defense. Um, he is just, he's relentless, has a high motor. Um, if anything, like his just tenacity and attempt to like um, create plays gets him into a little bit of trouble because it's like Jared Butler actually beat him a couple times um, off the dribble. That was another great prospect game. And by the way, to those who are interested, Tom Piccolo had a great thread uh, breaking down McBride versus Butler and Davion Mitchell, um, which is also just a great game that went down to the wire. Um, so similar to Frank, sometimes Frank can be a little aggressive and he gets beat off the dribble. That'll happen at times, but McBride more than makes up for it with the amount of plays he generates. Um, you know, the, he played Oklahoma State, and uh, Oklahoma State has a, had a pretty good freshman prospect who had a good night last night. And there are several instances of Bones just, or sorry, McBride just bullying him. Um, there was a sequence at the end of the first half where, um, you know, Cade already was a little bit unsure of himself and, like, did the thing where he turns his back and, like, tries to ward McBride off with his hand. And that's a six eight guy, big, strong guy. And McBride just poked it away with his offhand, took it, and then went right at the rim at, at Cade and, and scored on a layup. Ensuing possession, um, you know, he was pressing, so he denied the ball to Cade. Oklahoma State... You know, gave it to another player who drove to the corner, got trapped, and then he and then McBride stole his outlet pass. And this time he threw down a dunk. Um, Cade was a little late, but Cade was the one running back in transition, and it, it was close to a poster, right? Uh, and then well, that wasn't even the most impressive play of the game. There was a play later in the game where Cade actually beat him off the screen. McBride not only recovered, but in just one motion, it was like that Zion Williamson and, and Kevin Knox play. He just took it from him. And again, that's a guy who's way bigger than him. And he took it like it was candy from a baby, you know? Um, just grabbed the ball and snatched it out of his hand um, from a standstill, right? Wasn't dribbling or anything. Um, so that's the on-ball defense. Off-ball, he's great at anticipation. I really like his feel. Um, and he's, he's going to be a plus on that end. And because of his strength and wingspan, I think he can guard two positions. And maybe there's like a Marcus Smart, even Chris Paul type thing because of, again, that strength. Um, the ability to, to kind of anchor a little bit in the post, even against bigger guys and, you know, probably get shot over, but, um, can survive on those kind of things. So defense just, he is, and, and Tibbs is going to love him, um, just how he attacks. Um, if he thought Alfred Payton was worth starting for 82 games for defense, then there is no question about, about this guy. Yeah. Stacey, um, I said last night, he's essentially who Tibbs thought Alfred Payton was. <laughs> yeah. Except, um, I, I don't know if, Tibbs thought he could pull up shoot like this, which brings me to no, no, no. Tibbs, Tibbs believed it, man. He believed. It. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, he thought it was. He saw Peyton on the jersey, and he thought it was Gary, right? Yeah, he, um, he went up to him in the in the Hawk series and said, "You know, just just cancel out Trey Young tonight. As long as you guys both get thirty, we're we're good." <laughs> um, it's side note, right? Um, the 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 Hawks are not hiding Trey Young on Miles McBride. Um, actually, in that Baylor game, there's a great clip where he just basically it's Davion Mitchell, who's a big guy. And they put Mitchell on McBride, and McBride methodically just backed him down from the three-point line, and then got a layup on Davion Mitchell. I like he has—he's um, a little bit of a post game, right? Yeah, uh, he has some nice moves. Um, 
there's like a great clip from that game where he crossed over. Uh, who's the guy with the mullet on Baylor? The guy with oh, the mullet on Yeah. Matt, um, who is a fun player to watch. He's like a 6'9 guy. Um, yeah. But he cannot keep up with McBride. McBride just ankle broke him, stepped back, and then hit a, a dirk fadeaway. Um, so I, I think he has a little bit of that. But on offense, he's not a Like, I think Javon Carter might be like the lazy comp. You know, West Virginia bulldog defensive point guard who isn't really a true point guard. And I think that's a misnomer because McBride, for one thing, he's a great pull-up shooter. Um, he didn't take as many, like, volume does matter. And for, to that record, I think Grimes comes in as a better shooter overall. Um, because, you know, McBride took like four a game, but he shot them with high accuracy. He took, he hit 41%. He's an excellent free throw shooter. And a lot of those were self-created. Um, he had to, he's, you can't really go under screens against him. He has a very smooth pull-up. Um, he's at least could get a little bit faster. Um, but I think that's something the development staff can work on. Um, his mid-range pull-up game is extremely good, and that bodes well for seeing eventually to continue to extend that range. But um, you know, he just he can he can really rise and, and get into a shot pretty quick. Um, you know, for mid-range, and he has pretty high release with length. Um, you know, I think on offense, he took a lot of mid-range pull-ups, which is less than ideal. We have to look at the context. Um, West Virginia often had one or two bigs, most notably Derek Culver in the paint, and they tended to not run a spread pick and roll. Um, they would run a lot of you know curls, pin downs for other players, and McBride. So McBride racked up a, a good assist to turnover ratio. But you look at the assists; a lot of them are not are simple passes, right? Um, but when he did get to run spread pick and roll, he's very good. I think his vision is underrated. Out of that, he's good at hitting the roll man. He's shown flashes of being able to hit the, the three point weak side guy, and because he's good at drive and kick. I don't, I'm not, will he, will he make the Luka Doncic one hand cross court passes? We'll see. But I think his, his passion is underrated. And that's actually not that big a concern for me in terms of, um, you know, being able to run on ball. What I think the question mark is, can he put pressure on the rim? And how much was, you know, because he has good burst. I think he, he often gets a step on guys, but then he, he does, he loves this move where he'll get a step on guy and you're like, all right, go to the rim. And then he'll do the snatch back and then pull up. But a big part of that was the paint was crowded. Um, another part of that is he's not the best finisher right now, um, which is a little puzzling because he's a good athlete and he's you know built strong. But I think he has the frame to put on more weight, and I think he has the burst to get to the rim. It's probably just more technique and more reps. Um, but that would be the one thing where you're like, okay, is this guy? If he can get that together, I think he can run point guard in its offense, where you don't really need the player to be an advanced passer. Uh, it's more a guy who can attack, get downhill, and, and kick. Um, so I think he's plenty qualified for those things, and it really comes down to um, speeding up the release and uh, really working on his craft as a finisher. And if that's the case, then, I mean, yeah, everything I described is, is exactly what Tom Thibodeau loves, and I can see him as a, as a starting point guard in that offense. Not not next year, but um, you know, when, he, when he's really fully developed. Yeah, so here's this always weirds me out a little bit in the draft where teams, I not not a lot of teams, but some teams just. I mean, I guess I guess the the team I'm going to mention is a good example of this. Almost seem to draft for PR, and it's like, all right, who's the big name? Who's the guy we're expected to take in this slot? Who's the guy that people are going to get excited about? And I'm I'm just confused. How does Davion Mitchell go almost thirty spots ahead of him? Because to me, they seem like I, I know Mitchell's. Mitchell's a bit quicker and a bit more explosive getting to the basket and finishing around the rim. But to me, they're, they're kind of strikingly similar players. And granted, this is coming from a guy who's not a scout who watched uh, maybe 
eight total games of the two of them. But but why do you think – I mean, I get the, the bigger question is why do you think he fell to the second round because he strikes me as such a complete guy. And, and maybe it's sort of the classic answer where everyone is going to take upside swings and then some, some smarter team is going to go in the second round and get a guy who's going to be in the league for 12 years. But it feels weird because he – he obviously has weaknesses, but and the height is is a factor in terms of how he translates defensively. But he seems like someone who could have provided a lot of utility to a lot of the higher level teams that were picking in the twenties. Yeah, I mean, with Davion, I'll say um, I don't I don't want to hate on guy. I think like I think the character part of it uh, and you know how much he's had to overcome did play, and you know you had the leadership ability. I think teams again respect that a lot. That said. Um, again, McBride has three inch bigger standing reach, um, is two years younger, or maybe three years younger, and um, similarly strong. Um, Mitchell did a better job of getting to the rim, but you know, people compare him to Donovan Mitchell, he does not have that level of athleticism. Um, I actually think Deuce is a better vertical athlete, even though Mitchell is probably a little bit better finisher at this point in terms of raw numbers, um, and got there more often, but again. And, and part of that is Mitchell was in an optimized offense. If McBride got to play with Jared Butler and, and these guys, who knows, right? In, in a pace and space offense, maybe he would have had those kind of... Um, so I think it, it's a few things. One, McBride's context wasn't as good as some of the other guys. Two, I just think it was a really good draft. You know, you look a lot of the picks in the 20s, um, and they're not, they're not a whole lot of egregious picks, you know? Um, like, there, there were a lot of bigs, but they were good bigs. Um, and the Knicks didn't need them. Um, there were a lot of combo guards, and I mean, some, sometimes in a, in a really deep draft, guys are going to fall. Um, you know, I mean, there were there were guys who there were more. I mean, Butler, to your point, fell, um, so that was probably health related. Cooper Beely fell, but if you look at the guys who went in the first round, there aren't a whole lot of guys which are head scratchers. You know, um, Primo went a lot higher than people thought, but he was supposed to be a fringe guy. Um, you know, Daron Sharp. Maybe is a little bit, you know, a few spots higher than I would have taken. But it's Phoenix; they have their own drafting strategy. Um, and then you have a couple of drafting stash, which like high end teams are going to do that. Um, so I mean, I, I think that um, what do I did I have him higher? Absolutely, he was a, a top twenty pick to me. Um, but um, it was a deep draft, particularly at like the combo point guard position. Um, and I do agree with you that Mitchell was a reach, but if you look throughout the first round, most of them are, are ex- ex- I mean, if you look at the guards who are taken above him, Trey Mann, there's a reason I mean, he's a swaggy, right? He does things that, uh, he's better at certain things in the right. Um, you know, Keon Johnson is, is a different type of player. Um, Josh Christopher is bigger, so gives you like more of that scoring guard and, you know, he's not the shooter McBride is, but if you buy that, then he, he can get there. Grimes is bigger. Bones is, deeper range and um you know for denver particularly i think that's a great fit cam thomas more of an iso guy so um brooklyn decided they didn't have enough iso guys i guess but um so did i have him higher than a few of those guys of course um but they're all there there were a lot of good players and i think that's why he he fell and that's why again i think it was good i think i'd, I'd rather take 25 34 and 36 because um realistically between 20 and 40 there were a lot of good guys so if you can still keep three picks in that range, but get more assets. Uh, I think that speaks to the Knicks taking advantage of the depth of the draft. I think, I think it was a great, great pick. And, and again, if you're going to knock the Knicks like I did on 19, 
you got to say that they probably knew that Thunder trade was happening, where they were going to get 34 and 36. Because if, if not, I thought it, it really didn't make a lot of sense. But as we've said, they ultimately got their guys. And, and the final one who we can just touch on real quick was Jericho Sims. And I, I guess the very quick way of, of putting this is, could you see him, I mean, maybe not next year, but in two or three, assuming Mitchell Robinson is long for this team, or even if he isn't, is he your Nerlens Noel down the road? And granted, he's he's a couple of inches shorter at six foot ten, and that's that's probably I assume if he was a seven footer, he's he's probably a first round pick. Just as a, a rim runner, rim protector, um, just based on my limited research, a guy who, um, due to circumstances out of control, playing behind Mo Bamba as a freshman, having injuries as a sophomore and junior, really didn't get a great chance to break out until his senior year, but he seems perfectly capable of accomplishing what Tom Thibodeau is looking for at the center position. And that's someone who can protect the rim at one end and put pressure on it at the other. Yeah. I mean, with the neural snow comp, uh, he's significantly thicker. Um, so he's, he's a strong guy. Um, I mean, I think the most famous picture of, of um, Jericho Sims is that picture from the combine where his like, head is above the rim. So he's a freak athlete. Um, I mean, he's, he's the, he's the prototypical lob threat. Um, I think on NBA.com is like comparison was um, Robert Williams, right? Um, so definitely raw. And I mean, I think that I have been guilty of this, but it's a little unfair to to lump all of the rim runners, rim protectors together because there's degrees to it, right? Like Mitchell Robinson and Jackson Hayes both fit that profile, but I think both disagree. Mitchell Robinson is much more elite, so that'll come down to you know Sims's hands. Is he is he going to have nerves in all hands, or is he going to be able to catch the ball well? Um, is he going to have good instincts in terms of helping, or is he going to be a block chaser? Um, is he going to be able to anchor in the post, which, you know, that might be something where it, it gives you a different look. You know, Mitch has gotten a lot better at this, but, you know, maybe against the Joel Embiid's, the Jonas Valanciunas's in the world, where um, it's less than ideal for Mitch, although he's apparently gained even more weight now. Those are the things that, that'll make the difference between if this is another noble Pell or if this is a, a reliable backup big for a while. Um, and, you know, I'm generally not a fan of using draft capital on those kind of bigs, but it's the 58th pick. Um, so I, I, overall, I like it. I don't think there's a whole lot of upside beyond doing that. But I think with the Knicks development staff, he can definitely reach that kind of outcome. And, um, you know, that, that, that is valuable. All right. Uh, last thing, Stacey. Um, outside of Knicks world, could be your favorite pick, could be your favorite overall draft, but but which which team kind of came out of this in in a great position relative to the assets they had coming in? I mean, it's tough to not say Orlando. Um, you know, I, I, on the one hand, I don't want to. I'm not going to far be it for me to second guess Masai Ujiri. Um, but Scotty Barnes at four was a surprise, and the, the upside of that was that Orlando walked away with with Suggs, and I, I mean, I've huge Franz Wagner fan. Um, I've, heard, I, I've heard that before. <laughs> yeah. So I thought I thought they walked away with two great picks. I actually am a bigger fan of the Warriors draft than a lot of people. I think Moody at 14 was a little bit of a shock. And so they get Moody. And then, I mean, Kuminga's taken a lot of heat, but he was playing against grown men. And, um, you know, that gives you an upside swing as well. Because they can play for, two, for the Steph timeline as well as the future timeline, which Bob Myers talked about. Um, and then I really liked what the Rockets did, um, Jalen Green and Josh Christopher, uh, in addition to Kevin Porter Jr., they have a lot of shot creation now, maybe none of them is a true point guard, but uh, they have a lot of scorers, and then uh, they got someone else, oh, they got Usman Garuba, so they shore up their defense as well, I think he's a great fit next to um, next to Christian Wood, um, 
and Christian Wood having Christian Wood allows you to play a, a no offense big who's like a versatile switcher because of Wood's you know shooting ability. So uh, those are the three teams that kind of stick out for me. I know I'm not supposed to say this as a Knicks fan, but but one of my favorite things in all of basketball is when a great team or really good team adds a great rookie, and it just it all sort of works from day one. Like the Spurs with Kawhi were, were sort of the the ultimate example of that. And I was I was excited, even though it would hurt the Knicks about Suggs going to Toronto because I, I just I thought it slotted in perfectly, and they had this golden opportunity. It was, it was the same thing I was thinking last year with. Uh, a little, little retroactive, but with Golden State and Lamelo, um, that that would just be so much fun. And then they botched the pick, and then maybe, maybe Toronto did the same thing this year. I don't know. People, people love Scotty Barnes, but but Suggs with his game just felt like, like if you were to build a player to slot in as the fifth guy in that, or, or I guess the fourth guy, they need to find a center in that Toronto lineup. I think it would have been Jalen Suggs. So that that would have been really cool. But to your point, I'm I'm kind of happy for Orlando and. It's it's so weird because I felt the, this way about last year's draft, where there was just an unbelievable amount of, of NBA talent, and not necessarily guys who were going to win you a title or be all-stars, but guys who could come in and immediately make the league more fun. And it just feels like collectively, I mean, we're talking about Orlando possibly adding two, like if, if they can keep them, 10-year starters in, in, in Franz and Suggs to what was an interesting but very much incomplete group of prospects previously. So I think that is my probably single favorite thing about this draft. It's that all these teams really filled out in interesting ways. Even look, I mean, like obviously everyone, I know Stacey, you weren't, you weren't the biggest fan of them. Hates, hates, hates Atlanta. Um, after, <laughs> after the, the series. I've them. gotten over it. I, there's a few, uh, okay, few guys. Cool. But, but, um, I, just throwing out like Jalen Johnson and Sharif Cooper on that team. That's like with all the talent they already have. And I, I'm, I wasn't a really a huge Jalen Johnson guy, but it just it's interesting, it's fun, and I think it I don't know I think it makes the league more exciting. Yeah, I mean especially the small ball looks they have. I love I love the fit with Jalen Johnson there, um, and they can put him next to a guy like John. Now you're not going to defend the rim at all, but they they are they're happy to play John Collins at center, and then those backup lineups you can play Jalen Johnson uh, in kind of that point forward role. Um, although I'd like Trey there to babysit him, but yeah, and then. I mean, with all their shooters and Pella, you put Sharif Cooper there. Um, that, that's, I mean, people were saying the Knicks is like the ideal place for him to go, but it's tough to argue against Atlanta because he's going to have a ton of space. You can't, I mean, they could go under all the screens they want, but you can't keep that guy away from the rim. Uh, and then, you know, Capella as the vertical spacer alleviates some of, you know, his finishing issues, Cooper's finishing issues. Uh, I, I'm 100% on board with you there. And, you know, uh, we lost. It was it was stinging reality, but uh, it's time to move forward. And uh, I think we can respect them as, as definitely an annoying team. One of, one of our new the new Pacers and Heat maybe is, is if both of us continue to be good. But um, all in all, that'd be a good thing to have another rivalry. All right, that is a, as optimistic as a note as we could possibly end on. Uh, Stacy, re- really appreciate you taking the time. Um, again, uh, Stacy writes for the Strickland and is a frequent guest on pod Strickland. Stacy, any, anything, um, anyone else should know following up or where they could find you on social media and stuff. You can find me at Stacy Patton 89. I actually did write a draft profile on use with ride for the Strickland. So if you're interested in that, highly recommend checking it out. And, uh, yeah, other than that, this was just a lot of fun. Thanks for having me on. All right, cool. We'll, we'll be sure to link that when we tweet out the podcast, but thanks again, Stacy. And uh, I'll talk to you soon.